<laughs> Michael, it's so nice to have you here with me. <laughs> yes. Now, I just want to clarify a few things. Before we met, what was your favourite thing in the world? Chicken. Chicken? Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I thought you liked mosquitoes. No mosquitoes. <laughs> now, okay, so okay, chicken. But I introduced you to something recently, didn't I? Yes, yes. Now, you can remember what that was. Whiskey. <laughs> and out of interest, for, for people listening, when you first tasted that lovely stuff, what was it that you actually said? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yes. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Let's take the whiskey back now, and I'll give you back the chicken that you like so much. Oh, my God. No. Chicken. Whiskey. Oh, okay. That's okay. No, please keep it. I didn't realise you liked it so much. Yes. <laughs> no, Michael, please keep the whiskey. That's that's fine. If you enjoy it that much, please keep it. <laughs> Having said that, though, you, you're covered in little red bumps. Yes. You don't think you're allergic to the whiskey, do you? No. Mosquitoes. Oh, mosquitoes. Have you got anything you can put on the bite? Anything that, you know, you can rub on it to help at all? <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. Whiskey. <laughs> oh, I guess that's one use for it, Michael. Yes. <laughs> Hello. And thank you for downloading this episode of the Malted Muse podcast. Well, thank you indeed for downloading this episode of the Malted Muse podcast. The first episode with me back from my holiday. It was a good holiday. It was relaxing, full of its normal ups and downs, of course but I'm also full of a long journey home. And I'm a person who does not cope with jet lag that well. So I'm afraid to say this episode is going to be a little bit scatty. Plus the fact I've not had as much time to prepare as I would normally like to. But that's not to say that it's going to be an empty episode because there are some things I need to put out. But before I do any of that, of course, I must apologise for the beginning of this episode. When I was on holiday, I um, met a few people, one of which was Michael Berger from Germany with his wife Ulrika. Um, and we struck up quite a good friendship, I like to think. And during that time, it came to my notice that they had never experienced whiskey before. Well, as well as doing a, a proper whiskey tasting while I was there, I also had to engage a few people into some one-to-one -one whiskey conversion. And I think these are two of my converts. Michael, unfortunately, didn't speak a great deal of English. And so I recorded the few English words that he knew and put together that little um, mock interview at the beginning as a little tribute to him smashing bloke really enjoyed his and Ulrika's company along with the others that I met over there so a special um, hello to Chris and Becky who are also over there and congratulations to them they know what I'm talking about 
Now, whilst I was over there, I did get a request for me to put out some tasting notes, and I mentioned that in the last episode and said that it wasn't the sort of thing I wanted to get into, but I'm, I'm going to go back on that a little bit and give out some tasting notes at the moment of some of the whiskies that I tasted whilst I was over there. Now, the first one I want to mention came in at 40% ABV. I found it of a mid-tone, its legs were fat and slow, although I must confess that it's in a hot country and I'm ashamed to say it's on a pl- in a plastic glass. The nose, very delicate, sweet, but so delicate it's actually very difficult to nose. The mouthful, it had an initial attack which was a bit on the peppery texture nature, but after that, shallow so shallow both with its taste and with the whole profile and with a total absence of finish um, there's just nothing to it a bit like a cheap rum really but with without the rum I've got, it had nothing to say to me it had no character it had no real taste and this is for a, a whiskey that's come from the United Spirits Limited and it's simply called Black Deluxe Whiskey it's a blend, it's a product of, of India, and it really left me thinking, well, what is it that I'm drinking? Seldom have I had a whiskey with such sm- small amount of, of impact. Yet somehow, in the heat of the country, it did have a refreshing nature to it. I don't know what that whiskey was made up from. Being a produce of India, being a blend, did it have the um, well-known addition of molasses? It may well have done. I've not had time to look into it. But it's a whiskey I don't think I should be returning to. Another whiskey that was there was Duggan's. Now this came in at 37.5 ABV. And if that doesn't give you enough concern, well let me tell you a little bit about what it tasted like, smelled like light in colour and also light on the nose bit grassy, bit young its legs, well, sort of mid-distance but fast light, very small amount of mouthfeel very small amount of finish easy to drink in the heat some subtle flavours of orange a hint of malt, maybe a hint of caramel it wasn't that unpleasant to drink I have to say, I think it fitted the the situation I was in at the moment, around a poolside, drinking out of plastic cups, in, in a very hot, watery situation. A bit like the whiskey. Now I say whiskey because at 37.5% ABV, is it really a whiskey? I'm used to whiskey starting at 40% ABV. That's the regulation that I'm used to. That's the starting point. They can be stronger. If they're lower, I don't really think of them as being a whiskey. And if one took a close look at the bottle, one would find that there as well. Because it describes itself as a truly superb blend of malt whiskey and aged alcohol from the finest distilleries. Aged alcohol. What an unfortunate expression that is. See, to me, that says a lot, because it's actually saying it's a blend of malt whiskey 
and aged alcohol. It's not saying grain whiskey, but just aged alcohol. And to me, that is an acknowledgement that it is not even proper whiskey in its own right. It's actually saying it's whiskey mixed with something. And the other one that I had also at 37.5% ABV, which also was mid-toned, had fat and fast legs again on plastic in a hot country. The nose was clean, sweet, bit of caramel, quite soft nose, little amount of mouthfeel and the taste sweet caramel toffeed no smoke no edge no citrus no heather no floral nature maybe a little bit of salt in there it was okay but it was weak and it was without character it's what i would almost put down as being one of those um, value level supermarket whiskies no finish no burn, no warmth, really not much to say for itself. And again, it's 37.5%. It's got a nice little crest on it, on the bottle, makes it look a bit authentic. But it's produced for Vinicola's Del Norte, Whiskies de Malta. So it's not a Scottish whiskey, is it? Let's be honest. In fact, at 37.5%, again, is that really whiskey? But there's something about this bottle that concerned me as well. This one isn't openly saying it's a blend of malt whiskey and aged alcohol. This one says it's a blend specially imported whiskey. And it's called MacAlbert. Now, if I said to you, MacAlbert, I think that sounds like it's trying to be a Scottish whisky. And I will be contacting the SWA to see what their views are on this whisky. And when I get their response, I will let you know. Because this is exactly the sort of thing that I feel the SWA should be getting involved with. It's not at 40% ABV. It's not a Scottish whisky, as far as I know. And yet it's there sounding Scottish with its mock crest on the label given off that appearance and when I talked to the management of the hotel about these whiskies, they were saying that they were there because they were premier drinks they were premier whiskies. and as far as I'm concerned these three weren't premier and I felt a little bit upset that these three were there on the shelves in the premier bars and yet Cutty Sark wasn't thought good enough to be there it wasn't thought good enough to be there it is now made sure of that some cutty sark now available in those bars because as far as i'm concerned in that area cutty sark fits in perfectly and if you've got a quality product like cutty sark in the caribbean why on earth do you want to muck about with these weak whiskey substitutes for want of a better word this is, of course, only my personal view, and people may disagree with me. Now, whilst I was away, I received an invitation, and it reads like this. Dear Jim, it's that special time of the year when the Jura Music Festival takes over the island. 
The festival showcases some of the best professional and amateur musicians currently on the Scottish folk scene. This, this year's event takes place between the 23rd and 25th of September and the lineup is particularly impressive with some very well-known artists including the legendary Dougie McLean and Def Shepherd. Many local artists will be offering their very local and instrumental support as well. To be honest, it's probably amongst the island's best kept secrets and is usually only attended by people who are in the know. But because you're an honorary islander, your name is of course included on the guest list. This year, to help you experience the Jura Music Festival, we're offering two lucky Juraks on an all expenses paid trip to the island. This includes a stay at the luxury Jura Lodge, set right in the heart of all the fun and festivities, where you will experience island life during one of the island's biggest annual events. Enjoy an authentic island experience, mixing with the locals and toe-tapping alongside some of the Jura distillery staff. I am unable to go so what a shame that would be eh, to miss that however it does say later on down the invitation that I can if I wish invite some friends or family to go as well all they have to do is visit the website and they'll discover all the information they need to do I've got a sneaky feeling that a few other people may have received similar invitations and Anyway, despite all that, I consider my listeners to be friends, almost families in a way, family of the spirit of whiskey. So I'd like to share this with you. Go to the website www.isleofjura.com and take it from there. It looks like it's going to be a real good bash. I can't go. Maybe you can. And if anybody does manage to go, please drop me an email or send me an mp3 tell me what it was like and then i can share that with all the other listeners as well however that is not the only piece of news that has come through because i've also had a notification from the swa concerning scotch whiskey exports and what's actually happening in that market at the moment Gavin Hewitt, Chief Executive of the Scotch Whiskey Association, has said Scotch whiskey producers can be proud of their continuing success. Scotch whiskey is a main driver for the UK and Scottish economies in building export markets. We are making a strong contribution to the Scottish Government's ambition of growing the country's exports by 50% by 2017. While traditional export markets remain important, we are making excellent headway in other regions. Consumer confidence is strong. Recent breakthroughs in trade relations will help further. A free trade agreement with South Korea and better legal protection for Scotch whisky in India and Turkey give optimism for, for further growth. India and Turkey are now among the countries which recognise Scotch as a product that can only be made in Scotland.
We will continue to fight for fairer treatment in overseas market and to widen Scotch whisky's international appeal. Brilliant. Wonderful news. Now, the other thing that's happened since I've been back, or basically I came home to, was my copy of Whiskey Magazine, the October 2011 edition. It's issue number 98. And it looks a brilliant one. I can't say too much about it, because to be honest, I haven't had time to to look at it properly yet. But there's things in here that I am so looking forward to. There seems to be a bit of a move here about blends, a focus on blends, a focus on travel retail. Again, a look at lost distilleries, this time the Hiram Walker, the Canadian giant of a distillery. There's also a look at Cameron Bridge, the grain distillery, and, and much, much more, along with, of course, the Icons of Whiskey Scotland 2012. Winners are unveiled here. But one of the things I was really looking forward to, to reading is Global Tastes. Neil Ridley looks at how blends are being consumed around the world. One of the reasons I'm looking forward to, to reading that is because when I interviewed Neil recently, and that is in a previous episode if you want to download it, one of the things he said to me was about how how blends are being consumed and how in some places they're mixing it with green tea and he mentions that point uh, he's just finished writing an article about it this must be the article so really looking forward to read sitting down one night reading that along with a lot more beautiful stuff in here and i'm really grateful for the fact that they have now started putting in regular stuff about food and whiskey it's not an occasional article. It seems to be a regular thing. So, so welcome to see that. When I was away, I did taste some whiskey. I did do a whiskey tasting. And I did convert people to the wonders of a whiskey one person at a time. But I did also try to do some other things. I tried to read. I tried to do some research. I say try, I only managed to read two books. It was so hot, I spent most of my time cooling off in the pool. Please, somebody feel sorry for me. Now, the first book that I read was Tales of Whiskey by Stuart McCarty, from the Loweth Press, published 2010. It's a book of, as it says in the title, of whiskey tales, not just stories of about whiskey making but also stories around the subject of whiskey it's a small book and it's broken up into lots of short chapters or as i like to think of them dram sized chapters pour yourself a dram and you've got enough time to drink it whilst you're reading one chapter and I love that sort of style to this book. It's an informal book, but right from the start, it's full of Scottish pride and Scottish humour. Absolutely adore it. The writing style, it's a very banterish, um, jovial, directly communicating with you style. A natural conversational way that makes the reading of this book really easy. And it's also full of little asides that are either witty or 
also full of a little bit of wisdom to them. It explains aspects of the language, even though that language can be occasionally on the rather choice side, shall we say. But it explains things. It doesn't only explain bits about whiskey, it explains some of the common terminology around it. Terms such as being bladdered, bootlegging, things like that. And it's a mix of modern tales along with ancient myths carried on in a firm stance of belief that shows the independence and fortitude of the Scots and utilises with explanation some of the Scottish terms. It's a book that also contains a couple of whisky-based recipes, one of which I know and the other which I look forward to trying one cold winter. The book's 192 pages long, has no index, no glossary, no illustrations, and it's divided into 31 of what I have called before dram-sized chapters. It reminded me a bit of a book I read before called The Whiskey Men, but it's different. The Whiskey Men is very much interviewing and talking to people involved in whiskey making in a multitude of ways and pulling out their stories. It's a different type of story. It's a different type of approach. It also reminded me of another book I read, which was a collection of whiskey tales that was very sporadic. It went all over the place. It seemed to be any excuse to get whiskey involved in it. This book is more focused. It was a joy to read and it was a quick read. It's one of those books I wouldn't suggest sitting down, reading a one go. It's a book that's got 31 chapters in it. And as far as I'm concerned, that's an excuse for 31 drams. Now the other book that I read could not be more different. The first book was short, light, easy reading. The second book wasn't. The second book has 366 pages, includes an index, has contributors' biographies, references, lots of references, tasting notes, cocktail recipes, has no glossary or illustrations, but to be honest, it is so well referenced, it doesn't really need a glossary. That explains it as it goes along. This is whiskey and philosophy a small batch of spirited ideas it's edited by fritz ulhoff and marcus p adams it's published in 2010 by john wiley and sons and that is one thing i have a little bit of an issue with because i do wonder whether they should have waited a year because it was published in 2010, so of course most of the writing was done in 2009. And 2009 is an interesting year in the realm of whiskey because that's when new regulations came out. But they could have waited, they could have encompassed those new regulations. I have to say, to be honest, I don't think it had made much difference because what is being talked about in this book is in many ways pretty pretty timeless. It applies just as much 
before the regulations as it does afterwards. It's only a little bit of nitpicking about how they talk about the terms. I have a couple of criticisms about this book and they're very small things. Um, I'm not too sure about the, um, the introduction. I think the introduction goes on a little bit too long to the point that it becomes a little bit of a spoiler because this book as I found I was reading it became a great element of discovery it was taking me off in areas and in depths that I hadn't thought of before it's broken up into five units and I'm not going to tell you what those units are at the moment because I don't think just telling you the titles of the units will actually give you that much information that would be of use. This is a book that is called Whiskey and Philosophy and the word whiskey is spelt with the E and they do that purposefully and you can find out about the reason for doing that in the book although that is discussed later on in the book. The other little nitpicky thing I will put in is chapter 2 is written by Ian Buxton and he talks about a history of Scottish whisky and there's a little bit of me that wonders whether or not that would have been better as the first chapter. And if you think I'm nitpicking on that, then yes, I am. I am nitpicking. And if you ever find me nitpicking on things like this, I want you to remember an old adage that we used to go by in a unit that I worked at. And that used to be, teams always moan. We always complain about things. And if the team is complaining about the way the coffee money is collected or which brand of coffee is being bought for them, then they're a pretty healthy team because they're only moaning about the small things. Same thing goes here. If I'm moaning about the fact that I think Chapter 2 should have been Chapter 1, you can guarantee the rest of it, the big moans, aren't there. What I will say about this book is the first book I read on holiday, one chapter, one dram. You are going to get through a caseload of whiskey at least reading this book. And it does recommend having a dram with you whilst you read. This is a book for engaging what is known as the tortoise brain. This is not a book for quick thinking. This is a book for picking up reading a bit of, maybe not an entire chapter, reading a bit, grabbing some of the concepts in it, going off and contemplating, thinking, absorbing what is being said. This is a book not only for the more serious drinker, but also for the more serious thinker. And this, in a way, really matches in with me, because I listen to podcasts. I listen to an awful lot of them. I spend good part of my day listening to podcasts. And I listen to whiskey podcasts and I listen to comedy podcasts. But I also listen to other podcasts. I listen to podcasts about Russian history, medieval history. But I also listen to a series of podcasts all about philosophy and the history of philosophy. And this book combines those interests. It combines wisdom to do with whiskey, knowledge to do with whiskey, but it also wraps it round a variety of philosophical thoughts, including modern philosophy, 
and ancient Greek philosophy. Absolutely brilliant. This book looks at the Manhattan cocktail and relates it to Plato, the lyrical and the epic womanizer. And it relates it to other drinks as well and other philosophers. There is no end to the wisdom, the thinking that you can pull out. It's a book to read in sections. It's a book to read with gaps. Really, honestly, engage that tortoise brain when you're doing it. It's got different authors. Each chapter, each section is made of chapters. And each chapter is written by a different author. And those different contributors to this bring with them different styles. Even though the, the outline format per chapter is the same, there's a topic introduction, headed subsections, ending with a conclusion and a summary, and then detailed reference notes afterwards. But despite all that, that format, the style of writing can be different. Some of them quite traditional, laying out a history. Some of them quite exploratory. Some of them can be really challenging. Take Robert Arp's Whiskey, Whiskey, Wild Living. Well worth a read, but challenging. The chapter about women and whiskey. Again, challenging, enlightening. This is not a book full of marketing veneer. It's a serious look at the subject of whiskey and whiskey drinking. It is a mental enlightenment. It talks about whiskey, but it also talks about its place in society and its place within the individual and the way that we relate to it and the deeper meaning of some of that. You may not always agree with what's written, but you will have to consider it and the philosophical aspects. They relate to serious philosophical discussion within an applied approach, be that in the form of Plato, Mills, or Descartian metaphysical dualism. It's there. Whiskey and philosophy is not a catchy little title for a gimmicky book that you can read and have a laugh about. It's serious stuff. You see, by understanding these broader aspects of whiskey, such as the dilemmas faced by the, the whiskey-tasting writers, we can gain a deeper understanding of whiskey itself, but also how we relate to it in a broad way. In turn, this encourages self-development, and in turn, more understanding of whiskey so that a, a reinforcing cycle of development can happen. I could go on. It is a book that has inspired me with ideas of future podcasts. But future may be quite a little while in the future, because as I said, this is a book for which you need to engage your tortoise brain, and I certainly need to engage my tortoise brain on this book. It's a book I would strongly recommend reading if you are prepared to put the thinking in behind it. This is a valuable book. This is a book that should go down in the history of good whiskey writing. But it's not a book to be picked up 
by somebody who has got a mild interest who just wants to know a few facts and figures about whiskey because this is much much more than that and well done for the courage to come out with this sort of book as a concept and thank you for doing so Well, thank you again for listening to this episode of the More to Muse podcast. If you haven't heard them already, there is a back catalogue of other episodes available on iTunes. And if anybody wants to contact me, they can do so. My email address is jim at com. There's the website www.themaltedmuse.com and there's also Twitter, Twitter at themaltedmuse. So thank you again for listening. I hope you'll listen next week. And until then, thank you and goodbye. Oh my God, whiskey. <laughs> <laughs>